Girl, We Need to Talk is a place where we have open, honest, transparent conversations centered around love, life, loss, and mental health. It started as a place to hold space for my grief after my dad died in 2018. But like me, it's evolved into a space where we as women can simply woosah, take a breath, and relax. We keep it a buck around here and have nothing to hide as we open up about topics that everyday women like you and me face every single day. So settle in and get comfy, because girl, we need to talk. Welcome back to Girl, We Need to Talk Season 3. I'm your host, Miss Charity Bailey. Now, if you've been following us for a while, you might notice that things look a little bit different now. Uh, And if you're just tuning in, thank you so much for joining us. This is a safe place where we have open, honest, transparent conversations. And so we decided to switch it up just a little bit uh, because the show was based on the fact that my girlfriends and I come into safe places like the living room to have deep conversations, uh, to support each other. And so that's what we're going to continue doing again with just a different look. Now, while some things may look different, what has not changed is the fact that we are always here to get to the heart of the matter and to always include and incorporate therapy and therapists because mental health is so important. And really when you get down to the heart of the matter, <laughs> if your heart ain't right and your mental health and emotional health is not right, everything else is off. And I have learned that. And so we want to continue having these conversations and we want to invite you to join us, get comfortable, get cozy, get your, uh, well, this is my, my safe place here. My little doggy Lacey got my blanket, my water, and all of you my friends. So welcome. Let's get straight to it. Uh, So this episode, we uh, have a very special uh, woman joining us. Her name is Dr. Tiffany Jenkins, and she low-key rocked my world when I met her. She asked a question at Attitude. Attitude is the mental health summit that I host every year uh, through Social Roots, and it's where Black women come together to talk things out. And she asked, who are you? And the question was, who am I? And I'm like, I got this. I know who I am. And along with all the other women, we took out our pens and we started to write. And then she came for our throats. She's like, and I don't mean sister, auntie, cousin, friend. I mean, who are you? And I was like, oh, okay, girl. Well, (laughs) I don't know. And at 41 years old, how do I not know who I am? And that's because as women, specifically black women, So many of us have our identities tied up in our family, our mates, our friends, our communities. And we're not getting to me. We don't know who we are. So a woman who does know who she is is Dr. Tiffany Jenkins. Dr. Tiffany, welcome to the show. And why don't you tell us who you are, ma'am? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. It is uh, such an honor. So in honor of the event, I actually have my Social Roots t-shirt, Mental Health Matter. (laughs) Shout out to Roisha Banks for connecting us. Um, I am a coffee junkie. Um, I am a avid reader. I'm a researcher. Um, I'm a friend. I am a wife and a mom. Um, But I am a black woman trying to maintain some sense of sanity in this section of the world that we call the U.S. of A. Um, The ghetto right now, Jersey native. 
yeah earth is ghetto i want to leave um but i'm a new jersey native um born and raised in a city called camden new jersey um and i haven't straight too far from that. I'm still in the South Jersey area. Um, I am a a practicing therapist. I'm licensed in Florida, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania right now. Um, And I have a private practice uh, that we specialize, I would say about 90% of our current uh, clients are Black women who a lot of them have never tried therapy before. So that's me. Yeah. Now you said a lot of the, a lot of the Black women that you see have never tried therapy before. Uh, why is that? Is it because of the stigma that comes with it? Is it because of the the fear of the unknown of what might come up? I think for most of them, it was very hard to find someone who looked like them mm. to create safe space for them to to unpack all that was going on. And historically, in in the the therapy space, um, it's been predominantly in the in the more recent. Um, past it's predominantly white women although if we go back a little bit further um we would see more white men Mm -hmm. um but there are not a lot of folks who look like us who were who are on the other side of the couch and that for the folks who had tried therapy before um that is a problem yeah um they i have a ton of horror stories. I, I I can't tell you all of them in the time we have, but like everything from not understanding our colloquialisms mm-hmm. um, to uh, pathologizing just things that are our normal experiences to being stereotyped mm-hmm. um, a certain way. All of that stuff has played a part um, for a lot of folks as to why they either retreated from therapy or really never tried it. Just hearing those horror stories from other folks who had tried it. So um, I get to create, uh, my team and I, we get to create safe spaces for folks and let them know it's okay, you know, to use the colloquialisms. I know what you mean when you say, um, I wanted to kill him. Right. And I know that you don't actually mean mm-hmm. that you have homicidal tendencies, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, or something as simple as, you know, laying in bed and your bonnet's on and you watching, you know, watching me on your screen and knowing that that's a safe space. And I'm not going to say what's on your head, what's wrong with you. Yeah. Um, I recently heard a story of a woman who was referred for a psychiatric evaluation because she was sitting with a therapist who was a white woman and she kept doing this. Oh, her brains was itching. The the woman said that, (laughs) right. But the woman she was seeing said that she was abusing herself and that she needed to go in for a psychiatric evaluation. Thankfully, the person who they called for that evaluation was another black woman and she could explain to her what that meant. But there are those things still are very pervasive and are still very real barriers to folks being able to get care. So um, we get the opportunity to create those spaces where our Uh, we call them our change fam, can come in and just be their 100% authentic selves and not have to screen it. Um, And and it helps us get to the root of things a lot quicker. Yeah, and it is important. I know when I started looking for a therapist, it was very important. I've had two therapists and I got really lucky because Miss Anita Barnes in Oakland, right off the top, boom, it was great. And then I met Miss J. Tate Eugenia here uh, in Arizona. But I do have other friends who have just 
had these horror stories and I try to tell people it's kind of like dating anyway, right? Like you got to find somebody that's a good fit for you. For me, I tend to be drawn to older women because my thing is like they've been where I'm trying to go. But also when I'm talking to Miss Anita about things, microaggressions or how I'm feeling in the workplace in corporate America at the time, when I'm talking to Miss J about how I'm feeling here in Arizona, in Scottsdale, you know, in a predominantly, not predominantly, in a white neighborhood where people are calling me welfare queen. I don't have to explain to her, but also she's a black woman who made that same switch from Oakland, you know? And so it is very important to find somebody that uh, can help you identify with you and all of that. And especially when we get back to the topic mm -hmm. of who am I um, and peeling back those layers and trying to figure out who we are. So when you ask us that question at the conference, so many women like, hit pause and didn't really need to go, didn't know where to go uh, from there. And you just realize that like mm -hmm. so much of who we are as women in general is tied up in the people that we serve instead of like really mm -hmm. figuring out like, who am I? What do I like? What pleases me? And I, is that something that we're taught as like little girls? Is it something we're conditioned into? Like, where does that stem from? Well, it's, it's, a cultural norm for sure. Um, it is a gender norm, um, but it does get worse, if that's the way to put mm. it, for black women. Because historically, if you look at our historical trauma, and this is what um, I think shocked everybody at the conference, is that a lot of the things that we identify with, the, the things that we identify as strength, are actually coping mechanisms that were passed down to us from generations and generations ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I like to give the example of when we were held as enslaved people, we could not show our emotions because that would put us kind of on a radar that we ne did not necessarily want to be on. Yeah. So when our children were ripped from our breasts, when our spouses, um, which we were illegally married to, because technically we weren't considered people. So mm -hmm. marriage was not a thing that we were legally allowed to do when they were taken from us. Black women had to remain very stoic to keep their pain tucked very deep. Um, and even if you look at just childbirth, there were women who would give birth and then by the next day were expected to be back on their post, whatever that was, right? So we never historically had a safe space for us to say this hurts, I'm mm -hmm. grieving, I'm, I'm upset, I'm sad, I'm anxious. We weren't given space to do that. And so what our great great mother great great grandmothers passed down to our great grandmothers passed down to our grandmothers passed down to our mothers was that we don't talk about what we feel we don't ask for any help in any kind of way and we just figure it out yeah and while in the right context those could all be strengths right you don't want to be bleeding all over the place when something's going on but in the in the historical context of how we got there, we really do perpetuate that. We look at the the person in the family who runs around and does everything for everyone, and we think that they're a great person. We never stop to think, do they need some help? Are they tired? We just say things like, oh, my God, I don't know how she does it. She's so strong. She's so great. Until she snaps. And the more we do that, yeah, until she snaps and mm -hmm. snaps, she will. And then you like, she's the tripping, right, right? No, she's not tripping. She's tired. She's right. Weary. What is wrong with she, her? Yes. This is so out of her character. Nah. Like, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. It came from all of this stuff building up. So we've got to really look at, yes, there's a 
a gender norm because I think women in all cultures can say that they've got a very um, heavy caregiving responsibility. I think we all share that. But for black women, I think it goes into another space and it gets a lot heavier, particularly because we are kind of fetishized as these like superhuman creatures and that we don't feel pain. And if you do, you become the angry black woman mm-hmm. and nobody wants to talk to her. And and so there's all of this stuff that's attached to all of this that I think we just kind of internalize without even realizing that we've internalized it. And so when someone asks you a question and says, who are you? Automatically, your default response is, this is who I am to others Mm -hmm. instead of this is who I am as a person. And most people, I think, were were only left with one or two um, things on their list that weren't connected. And in some cases, there were some people who didn't have anything left Yeah, um, that weren't in relationship to someone or something else. So that's, that's, I think, um, something that we all can work on, um, male and female. Like we need to, to get in the habit of identifying ourselves for ourselves, but particularly black women. I think we have a a little bit of a more difficult time with that. Yeah. Will you address some of those things in your book, Reclaiming My Time, A Black Woman's Guide to Self-Care? And of course, this is Dr. Tiffany Jenkins. She is a licensed therapist, but this conversation is not therapy. She often reminds you as we do on Girl, We Need to Talk that uh, if you need to see a therapist, that you look into the resources that we provide uh, on the on the website and uh, on social media. But you can go to like psychologytoday.com, therapy, therapy for black girls. There's a lot of resources. Just Google therapists in your area. Uh, so she, this is not a therapy session. So just we just want to be clear about that. But in your book, uh, you talk about several of the things that you just kind of mentioned high level. Um, for instance, first of all, re- reclaiming your time and the superwoman syndrome. And you you kind of just hit on it, that whole wearing of the cape, not taking time uh, to yourself, not, I mean, you mentioned here in the book about uh, giving from an in- empty cup versus an overflowing cup. And it's the fact that like yes. it's, if you pour yes. into you, then you pour from the overflow, not what's in the cup. And that really hit home for me. Yes. Uh, something else you just mentioned, too, uh, was about uh, the way the people in our families see us, the way the people in our community see us. And some of that even spills over into, like, dating. And it's what I've noticed is that sometimes, you know, men expect you to act a certain way because they mama did it. And you're like, listen, your mom had high blood pressure. Your mom is stressed out. Your mom has hyperpigmentation. Your mom has gout. Like she didn't take care of herself because she was so busy tending to everybody else. And now you want me to do that. And I'm not going to kill myself like that. Everybody else. Yes. And I feel like women of this generation are doing a little bit better of a job thanks to resources like this book uh, and the conversations that we're hosting where they say, hey, time out, hit pause. Like I need something too. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what we what we're learning more of with science, right, um, is that most of the things that disproportionately affect Black women's health are stress-related illnesses. So the hyper blood, the hypertension or high blood pressure, the diabetes, obesity, um, even cardiac issues mm-hmm. are are issues that disproportionately affect Black women. 
cancer even and the 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 course of the progression of the cancer when we look at all of those determinants of like health and and all of those things black women are are really at risk for a lot of those things and when we break them down by what their cause is probably about 85 to 95% of it is stress. Yeah. And if you if when you look at it that way, it shifts your perspective because we we tend to look at some health things as oh it's a health thing, it's you know, it couldn't be helped. It's not like, you know, if if someone did something, they walked out in the traffic and got hit, you would say, well, you shouldn't have walked out in the traffic. You should right. have looked both ways, right? But these are things when it comes to stress that we don't really look at as well. Um, and we're so busy caring to everybody else's needs. We'll make sure that big mama goes to her appointments and takes her medication. But we have this idea that, well, I'm not 60 yet. So I don't have to worry about that yet. But right now, let me worry about this. If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's why I always talk about keeping your cup full. If you make sure you're okay, you will always have something left for everybody else. If you keep giving out to everybody else, you're going to be the one sitting there looking at a dry cup and whatever you drink in a dry cup is never a good thing to be looking at. At all. And part two of your, so the thing about this folks is that uh, ladies, when this book reclaiming my time, it's a workbook as well. So there's prompts to help you kind of work through some of the things that uh, we're discussing. So we have uh, breaking the silence, but uh, part two is living well or walking dead. And I was like, oh, okay. So many of us are walking yeah. dead. I was one of those people. Now, I'm not a mom or a wife or, you know, I don't have some of the same responsibilities, which is another thing. Sometimes as a single person, you kind of dismiss the things that you're going through because you're like, well, I don't have these other yep. things that I'm dealing with. But after I had surgery and I started to lose weight and started, so the, the other thing about, my weight loss was that it happened during 2020. So everything was quiet. And I was just in here, you know, Lacey and me, a few friends who would drop in and out, but I had nothing but space, time and opportunity and quiet to get to the root of things. And that was scary and very, very hard, but it's one of the best things I'd ever done for mm -hmm. myself. And so I was looking at pictures, but I noticed like three weeks after surgery, my skin has started to lighten up. I was not pre-diabetic. I was not diabetic, but I had all of these like dark, this dark hue um, around my neck and my face. And I just never noticed it. And some of my friends said, I never noticed that. And I'm like, I was walking dead and did not know it. I mean, I knew I was hiding in plain sight, it. carrying the weight, but like, girl, you didn't know mm -hmm. that you were dealing with all of these other things and trauma and grief at that point, all of those things, I was walking dead and just like, oh, mm -hmm. and I thought I was self-caring because I was going to get my and nails done and, you know, doing that stuff. Yes. But it's like, no, yes. you know, you talk about emotional wellness and it's like how you feel. And that's why we say, how's your heart? Because it's like, uh-uh, you're walking dead, sis. Like, wake up, resurrect, mm -hmm. get alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was funny because when I started writing, um, the thing about the book was it it came because I found out I was saying the same things to like everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, no, that that's not it. Before we say that you have anxiety and I send you to go get a prescription, let's look at what you're doing. What does your schedule look like? And um, 
it the analogy kind of came to me when I was talking to one of my clients who she's like a really big horror movie person. And I said, you sound like one of those zombies you like watching all the time. Yeah. You're not, you're just kind of going around, just kind of, everything is horrible. Everything is terrible. You just stumbling. You're not quite dead. You're not quite alive. Let's look at where we can start to make some small changes and that's that's my thing. I'm all about small changes that can make a big impact. If you had it in you to make these huge changes, you probably wouldn't be talking to somebody like me, yeah. right? So yeah. it's all about making those small changes, looking at who's got, what What does your schedule look like? If your schedule is full of running around in errands, then you're not really living. You don't have a life. Yeah. And that's one of the first things we noticed. She had take, She had given up all her hobbies. She had given up all the things that interested her. Um, she wasn't even eating food that she liked anymore. It was just whatever was convenient on her running around. So, yeah. you know, looking at that, it, it really, you know, there are a lot of us who have that. And, and I find that a lot of folks who don't have certain titles do the same thing that you were doing and discount what they do have. Well, you're still a human having a human experience. Yeah. And if you are a black human in, Anywhere at this point. Yeah. You have stressors. Um, Dr. Joy DeGroy talks about post-traumatic slave syndrome, yes. which all of us kind of share. Um, and so there's there's a, a heaviness that we don't need to compare stories. We don't yeah. need to. I say all the time, comparison is the thief of, of joy. You cannot keep saying, well, I don't have this, so it must not be that bad. No. There can be... You know, I used to be told when I wouldn't eat, you know, there are starving children in Africa. You need to eat your food. Okay, yeah. there can be starving children. That's also such a stretch. Not just in Africa. <laughs> and, right. There can be starving children and I could be full or just not want to eat peas. Yeah. Both of those things can be true. Yeah. So we, we also have to work on, and one of the things I talk about in the book is how we talk to ourselves. Because that self-talk, that all of that toxic experience that we've had all of that trauma that we've had eventually becomes our inner voice and we got to mm -hmm. be careful because that starts to be kind of our Jiminy Cricket and until we start to fix that we're not going to be doing anything to to reclaim our time at yeah. all well you talk about self-talk it's interesting because again in doing some of the work I was talking to uh to Miss J so I'm calling you Dr. J I got Miss J all the J's y'all just gonna get us right sis <laughs> but I was talking to Miss J <laughs> and I'm like you know, I'm so judgmental of certain people. And I'm like, but really the truth is I'm judging her like that because those are the things that I judge myself on. And once I yep. got better self-talk, positive self-talk, once I could look in the mirror and like certain things about myself, I didn't hold other people on the hook about certain things anymore. Like freeing me freed you for me, which you don't even know that I'm judging you, but really I'm not judging you. I'm judging me. It's this whole like warp cycle. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> what is going on? Um, but you do, you talk about small changes like mm -hmm. meditation and going to sleep. There's a, a nap ministry on Instagram and Twitter and it's like, just go to sleep, but also just sitting silent. And sometimes just people, yeah, but people don't always like to get silent or go to sleep or get you know, because then it, you quiet the noise and then your thoughts become loud. And it's like, uh oh, again, now I got to get to the nitty yep. gritty, you know. Uh, you mentioned triggers uh, and, and you mentioned, you know, the post-traumatic slave disorder. I always talk about uh, 
the disorder that some of us have from growing up in the hood. I know I have that tough. Mm-hmm. There's still certain things. I think, you know, I made it to a certain part and point in life. You know, I'm successful. I don't live in the hood. I, you know, make a certain amount of money. But there's just still certain things. I can hear people arguing. And immediately I like, it actually happened. I'm going to be honest. We're transparent on this show. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Sacramento. And, you know, some neighbors were like cutting a fool. But I mean, like when you hear that noise, it's like in the hood and you hear ruckus, like nobody else in the house heard it. Nobody. I mean, it was music going. My brother-in-law, my sister was there. The kids were there. Nobody heard it but me. And I was like, girls, go in the back. And my brother-in-law was like, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know. I hear like, but I immediately had an emotional response. Like Mm -hmm. my chest started beating fast. I had the baby in my arms. I immediately made the girls go to the back of the house because where I'm from and growing up in that space, when you hear a, there's like some type of violence after it. There's gunshots. When you hear ruckus, I heard these girls like they were fighting or arguing or something. And one had banged the other girl. Like it was a whole thing. But I knew exactly what it was. I am 41 years old. I have not lived in the hood. I don't know in how long. I own properties. I'm a successful television host. You know, all of these things to where people are like, why would that even bother you? I was so triggered. I had to there. go lay down. It is in there. And my brother-in-law was like, because he went outside and I was like, come back inside. And he's like, nah, I'm going to go see what's going on. But for me, my sister said, because they were trying to get me to calm down. And my sister was like, you got to understand, she's very triggered. And then she said, but I'm also happy that he saw you do that because he also grew up in a similar neighborhood to us. Actually, funny enough, a, a neighborhood that we used to beef with. <laughs> uh, but she's like, you know, when, when it happens to me, it, it kind of seems like I'm tripping. But like now he gets to see that it happens to you, too. Mm-hmm. And as far removed as I am from that, my inner child immediately goes into the that mode that's like, make sure everybody's safe. Everybody's out the way. And I had to lay down. I was crying. My chest was beating fast. But also I realized that I had to let it out because one of the things that causes me to gain weight is that I hold things and I hold it in my body. So if I don't own it, Mm -hmm. process it, identify the trigger, address the trauma, then I'm not going to be okay. And I've grown Mm -hmm. into that space. But again, it's taken some time and it's taken work. So what are some of these triggers and traumas? That's very extreme. But I mean, what are some of the triggers and some of the triggers based on our trauma that we experience, especially as women? So it's funny because trauma is one of those things that's not one size fits all, right? Six of us could watch the same exact thing. And your example is a perfect one. You hear the same thing, you have completely different reactions, right? So six people can see the same exact thing. You're going to have six different reactions. Yeah. Somebody's never going to forget that screech. Somebody else is going to like be completely shaken and overwhelmed for a little bit and then forget about it. A couple other people are, is not even going to register to the point of memory, right? Because it's not that important. So what we have to understand excuse me, it's just like everybody's trauma is different. Everybody's triggers are going to be different. So it can be something, if any, a trigger is anything that you observe through your senses that takes you back to a place you'd rather not be taken back to, right? It could be a smell. 
Mm-hmm. It could be a sound. It could even be a, a temperature. The way the wind feels on a on a cold day. And mm-hmm. you remember that was the day you had the car accident and we're standing outside waiting for it could be anything. Yeah. But the only way that we can really get in touch with those, you can't fix what you don't face. And you don't face you can't face it if you're not willing to feel it. So you have to like feel the feeling. And then ask yourself, why is this so bad? What is so bad about this, right? And not in a condescending way, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why can't you just get over it? More of an uh, inquisitive way. Something's not right here. This doesn't feel right. Every time I'm in this space or I hear this sound or I smell this thing, I start to not feel well. Mm -hmm. But that requires us to get back in our body. Yes. And that's the thing that a lot of us don't like to do because it means that, like you said, you got to get quiet enough to really hear yourself. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want to do that no. because they're afraid of what they're going to hear, especially because if you've been pushing things down for so long, when you finally get quiet, your brain is like, oh, you you ready now? I got a list mm-hmm. of things I've been wanting to talk to you about <laughs> for like, a while. Um. And so it can feel very overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, the scroll. <laughs> like, and roll out uh-huh. the scroll, you know? Yeah. It's but you stupid. have to. You have to because you the only way that you're going to be able to do anything about it is if you, you figure it out, right? Yeah. Nobody pulls up their GPS and says, take me somewhere. You've got to know where it is you're trying to go for the GPS to help you get there. Yeah. And all trips are not created equal. Some of them you are going <laughs> straight through the middle of nowhere. Sometimes you got a lot of scenery and good places to eat and shop along the way. Sometimes you take it, a hard but you left. You have yeah. to just kind of you take a hard left, right? <laughs> Sometimes you go down one of them streets with the potholes about sizes as half the earth. Yeah. It, it, but it it's part of the process. And if you really want to get where you're going in this case your your best healthiest most whole self you got to take some of those journeys and one of the ways that i sometimes encourage my clients to start that work is to simply give themselves a time to assign to the worry sit down for 15 minutes and write down everything you're worried about when that 15 minute timer goes off sit turn it off and then sit with how you feel how do you feel focusing on all of this worry And then I want you to sit down for another 15 minutes after that and write down things you're grateful for and then sit and feel how you feel when you do that. Yeah. And it starts to train you to feel, to be more uh, aware of those triggers when they start creeping in. So you can kind of catch them a little bit earlier because now you know you've sat with yourself and you know what anxiety feels like. You've sat with yourself and you know what, you know, relaxation and gratitude and solitude and peace feel like so that when it comes up, now, you know, you don't have to panic anymore. Now you can sit down and do the proper steps you need to do to work through those things. But you got to be willing to do the work. This is not, um, this is, I tell my clients all the time, this is not a 45 minute episode of Beyond La Fix My Life. No. Like you're not going to just come in and it just, oh, okay, I'm done. And an hour later, no, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be some ups and some downs. You're going to have some peaks and some valleys. But that is the sign of life. If you look at, you know, an echo of your heart, if you look at a brain scan, how do we know that you're still alive? Sometime the line goes up, sometime the line goes down. Yeah. We're good. 
as long as it don't get flat, yep. you know, and just if it you, gets flat, that's when we have a problem. And with our emotions, it's the same way. Well, just when you think that you're good, something else pops up. My chiropractor told me, well, the body, the heart, the mind, it's all an onion and there's layers. And I was like, okay, I mowed it. Thank you. Uh, you, you were talking about smells and, <laughs> and uh, just some of the different triggers. And it just made me think. Well, so first of all, you were talking about getting, you know, setting a timer and, you know, that doing the list, that's what my love is list was about. Because once my dad passed away and I felt so hollow, I was like, wait, but you are loved in so many other spaces. So identifying those, but then identifying the trigger of, because when you're grieving, things like catch you off guard, they catch you slipping and like the smell of, of, um, of grass like the foot, uh, it reminds me of the fall, or should I say the dew in the morning on fresh cut fall grass during football season, or should I say that end of August, beginning of September, it reminds me of my dad. Now I can smell it and go, hi daddy. But at the time I would smell it and it was crippling. I would see stadium lights, high school mm -hmm. stadium lights really crippled me, but like I couldn't watch football. I couldn't I didn't want to have the conversations about football. I definitely didn't want to see the stadium mm -hmm. lights, like those types of things. And that those are those are my grief triggers. But now going down the rabbit hole when you're talking, I have had to tell men, and y'all know, especially if you've been following me on social, you follow me anywhere, you know that my daddy is my guy. I love him. He's my hero. But like as a man, an abusive man, an abusive husband, I would have had to like let him have it. And I have to, t I tell men often, cause I like big men. I like men who resemble my daddy. They have big hands. And I, because I've identified my triggers, I have to tell them like, yo, if we're in an argument or we're talking high spirited, don't cuss at me. Don't wave your hands. Because I've literally looked at my ex when I first met him over 10, 11 years ago. And I saw his hands are huge. And I love men with big hands. It makes me feel safe. I think it's sexy. I think it's attractive. But I'm like, I looked at his hands and I was like, whoa, this is a screwed up place to be in mentally because the hands that love me and care for me could wipe me out with one swipe. But what woman looks at a man that she loves and cares for and thinks that? A woman who grew up in an abusive household. A woman with trauma. A woman mm -hmm. with trauma. And so in your book, you talk about setting boundaries even. So some of that you talk about like, you know, setting the schedules that you need, the self-care time but setting boundaries. And sometimes people don't like those boundaries. So once you set the boundaries, how do you maneuver them so that friends and family go, oh, you changed, you, she tripping? Or do we just not care? <laughs> you you kind of got to not care. I mean, like, it's a delicate balance. So you have to remember why you set the boundary in the first place. Mm -hmm. If there wasn't something that was harming you, you would not find the need to draw the line. But... More importantly, boundaries help you determine what is your stuff versus what somebody else's stuff. Mm. If you think about like property lines, if you own property, the property line is a boundary. Yes. Because if something goes wrong, it helps you to understand if it's on this side, I have to do it. If it's on that side, the township may have to do it. Or it may be my neighbor's responsibility to do it or whatever the case may be. Sometimes we've got to meet in the middle this, on the like, pits. Really <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So we got to figure it out so that we know whose stuff it is. Yeah. And so boundaries are not we tend to think as boundaries is like these really like cold, hard, 
like brick walls, but not all boundaries are that way. We have some boundaries that are um, mutable, right? So there, if you just have, let's say, a line in the sand, that that's not as firm a boundary as, say, a brick wall. Yes. And the way you determine what your boundaries are going to be made of is based on what you are most comfortable with. Um, sometimes when there is trauma in a family, it becomes difficult to separate because when you start the process of healing, the the people who want to stay in that toxic system see you as saying you think you're better than them. And yes. it's like, no, I'm just doing something different. Mm-hmm. Y'all can do that if you want to. That's cool. Love you. Absolutely. But just know there's some things I'm not going to continue to participate in. And the the people who are still broken don't see the need for the change. When you start healing and you start recognizing, wait a minute, this doesn't feel so good anymore. There's yeah. got to be a way to do this better. There's like, eh, this this doesn't feel good. That's when you start to kind of put some distance, start creating those safe spaces for yourself. And you can tell folks, I can love you, but I'm going to ask that you love me in this way, that way, or the other way. And so it becomes a dance, really. Setting boundaries is not like this. You do it once and and you it's gone. We teach people how to treat us. Yes. So if you've been allowing certain things for a good amount of time, the minute you say that this no longer works for me, you got to give it time for folks to get used to this new thing. So it's not just a, it kind of is, I don't care, but it it also is, this is what I need right now. Yeah. And I need you to respect the fact that I'm growing and that I need something different now than maybe I needed last week, maybe than what I needed a year ago. Um, and the people who love you and who really want the best for you, as long as you are clearly articulating what you need, we'll, we'll hold to that. Yeah. Sometimes I think where we mess up is we don't clearly articulate our boundaries. Yeah. We just say, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, and it's the and hard so stop. And so it leads like to this said. whole confusion. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, why? We just did this last week. What do you yeah. mean you don't do that And anymore? you've been stewing in this for weeks. Because I'm just not. Uh-huh. You've been stewing in this for right. weeks, months, and you want everybody to get it in two minutes. So you're like, no, I just got it's, into this. Yes. Like, yeah, so... Whew. Dr. Tiffany, I could talk to you all day. Your clients are very <laughs> blessed to have you. <laughs> I know when you came to Attitude, I was like, ooh, did she, like I said, did she have to snatch my neck like that? Like, oh my gosh. And uh, for those of you listening or watching, uh, again, thank you for joining us. Um, but I encourage you to look into this workbook, Reclaiming My Time. Uh, Dr. J, I didn't tell you this, but as we wrap up, I'm going to share this with you. I was, you know, reading, doing my research. You gave me this book back in January and I just opened it because I'm me. It's been on my pile. If you walk to my room, you would think that I have a whole, like all of those books are there. I just open them and go to sleep. (laughs) But (laughs) the same thing. I have a similar pile. I can relate. So yes, we, I too have that stack of books and this book reclaiming my time was in it. But when I come home, I had just left my family. My dad's birthday is July 17th. So we had my uh, nephew's first birthday party on the 16th. We spent time together on the 17th. I came home on the 18th and all week I had just been feeling very off. And I'm like, what is going on with you charity? Like I didn't like a couple of days, I didn't want to get out of bed and I just kind of, you know, 
push it to the side, like, okay, you're sad, your family, whatever. And so my god sister's staying here with me for the summer. She's 20. She's like sitting on the bed with me. We're talking. And I just, I didn't feel like going to the nail shop. I talked to her for a little while throughout the day. We kind of did Friday together. Saturday, she came in my room and we're talking. And I'm like, something is wrong with me. Something's off. Because I was reading your book. I was like, I need to take a nap. But I woke up still sleepy. And I'm like, okay, now wait a minute. I know we had drinks last night and stuff, but this is really ridiculous. So she left to go to the gym and I'm sitting here. Finally, I'm in the house by myself. Now things get to be loud, right? And I w went back to pick your book up and I was in this ch uh, chapter about emotional wellness and environmental wellness. And I'm like, well, maybe I need to bring the housekeeper back this week. I'm just going through all the things. And then something said, what day is today? It was June 23rd. So for a timeline, my dad's birthday is July 17th. We buried him, or we had his memorial service on the 19th. We buried him on the 20th. It's the 23rd, sis. You're not paying attention, but all everything in your body, because you're at a different stage of your grief, everything in your body feels that. And now it's just seeped into another yeah. space, but you have all these other things going on, but that is still so front and center. And it wasn't mm -hmm. until I got quiet, I was like, and asked the question, that's what you were talking about earlier. What is wrong? What is going on? What is today? I went back and I watched the video of us putting him in the ground. And I had a complete breakdown while we were putting him in the ground because I was like, my dad does not belong in the ground. This big, powerful figure mm -hmm. does not belong in the ground. And so three days after we put him in the ground, I'm still feeling it four years later. And then I allowed myself to cry it out. And then she got home from the gym and I said, mm -hmm. I know what's wrong with me now. She's like, oh. <laughs> I figured it out. I figured it out, but I had to figure it out, feel it out identify it, feel it out and create the space. And then I took a nap and I was ready to go. And so resources like yours, whether it's the book or you offering your services as a therapist or offering your services as a public speaker, thank you because child, at some point we gonna all get free. <laughs> That's the hope. That's the hope. I need y'all to work me out of a job. Listen, listen. And we hope to work you out of a job. That's, that's what we're trying yes. to do here on Girl, We Need to Talk. So the book is called Reclaiming My Time. I suggest y'all go out and get it and create some quiet time. And I, I do say that as a single woman from a place of privilege, but Dr. J is a wife, a mom, an entrepreneur, and she's also telling you to reclaim your time, find the space, do the work, and get whole, sis. And then we're going to be all right as a result. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Sit down or your body will sit you down. That part. That's it. That part. And uh, yeah, we want to sit down before that happens. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being you. Thank you for helping us to do the work. How can we find thank you? Thank you for having me. So I am on uh, social media, Awakening Change, um, Awakening Change LLC. You can also go on the website, which is www.awakeningchange.org. O-R-G. Just look for the purple butterfly and there you will find me. All righty. Well, Dr. Tiffany Jenkins, a.k.a. Dr. J, a.k.a. The Greatest. Let's cheers. And uh, <laughs> cheers. Cheers to being happy, healthy, and whole. Clank. And free. Clank. All right. See you soon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All of Thank you, you so you much. Time. On the next Girl We Need to Talk. At the time, I was told 
like it's stress induced or at least triggered it you know but it's already you know it's a I feel like I was told it's genetic and that's one thing that was like hard to hear because when you tell me something's genetic I'm expecting to see it somewhere in my family and I looked to the right on my mom's side and I looked to the left on my dad's side and I was like so (laughs) where are they yeah (laughs) Who has a story about somebody like, so that's isolating, right? Where it's just like, I'm confused and why me out of all these generations. Um, But then the stress trigger for me and the way our childhood was, my honest reaction was like, this is the first time I haven't been stressed out in 12 years. Everybody's getting along. Everybody was just at my sixth grade graduation. It was peaceful. And now you're telling me I'm stressed out. Like, so if anything, I felt like the alopecia journey itself made me more stressed having to deal with adolescence and navigate that. Thank you for listening to Girl, We Need to Talk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Want to watch the show? Be sure to subscribe to the Miss Charity Bailey YouTube channel and connect with me across all social media platforms at Miss Charity Bailey.